0: Well, good morning. In Luke chapter 10, we're going to be reading verses 38 through 42 this morning and looking into, into God's Word. It's great. Brenda and I are really thrilled to be here this morning and uh, finally arrive at Harvest Durham. We've been in so many different churches over the course of this year. We're, now we're at Harvest Durham. It's great to see the setup, meet the people. You know, it's, it's great. So just praise the Lord for what he's doing here and uh, happy Canada Day, everybody. And I know we're kind of shifting gears with all the heat wave outside and school's over and, you know, parents have started their countdown to September already and things like that. So uh, we're just really, really looking forward to the next number of weeks. I don't need to remind you how um, busy life can get, how frantic life can get at different times, maybe even hectic. And some of you might say, well, yeah, finishing up school, doing all that stuff. This, I kind of feel like I've come off a week like that. It's just super, super intense, really, really hectic week. And I don't know if this is true for your life, but this is true for my life. When my life is very hectic, very full, very busy, it seems to be very, very difficult for me to, to determine what the best choices are to make. It seems like the busier it gets, the more important it is for me to make those kinds of critical choices. But because it's so busy, because it's so hectic, because it's so full, it, it seems so difficult. I, I've just determined in my own life, when I'm pulled in all these different kinds of directions, I, it's difficult for me sometimes to make the best choice, to know what's the best choice for my children, what's the best choice for me, what's the best choice for our family, what's the best choice to make. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of um, two sisters, Mary and Martha, a story that for many of you is very familiar. But these two women are pulled in very different directions, right? They're pulled in very different directions. And here's the point to today's message, right? If you don't remember anything else, remember this, okay? This one point, here it is. When you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have chosen the best choice, you've made the best choice. When you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have made the best choice. Now, whenever I read this story, and we're going to read it in just a minute, but whenever I read it, I have these two different reactions that happen in my heart. There's this woman named Mary, and there's her sister Martha, and they in Martha's house, and whenever I read the story, and I read the story about Mary, I, th- I have this sense of longing in my heart that I want very much for my life to look more like Mary's life. So I have that one feeling that's going on in my heart. At the same time, I have another feeling that's going on in my heart. It's a feeling of resignation. And that is, even though I long to be more like Mary, and there are times in my life when I am like Mary... But even though I long to be more and more like Mary in this story, I have to realize that really, in reality, I'm very much like Martha. Okay, Like Martha. So let's start the story. You ready? Are you ready? Yes. That's right. Okay, you got to help me. you got to help me, okay? Verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, before we get into the fullness of the story, I want you to realize three very important things that help set up the rest of the story that you can see here in verse 38. Okay, In verse 38, there's these three things. I want you to notice first, now, as they went on their way. There's a they to this story. This story is not just about Jesus not just about Mary, not just about Martha, it's actually also about a they. And say, well, who's the they? Well, we're not really sure who the they is, but we can kind of guess. You know, sometimes Jesus had a they in his life called the 12 disciples. Like, you know, he traveled a lot with the 12 disciples. Sometimes he only traveled with three. Sometimes he traveled with 12. You actually read in other places in the Gospels that the the group called disciples was actually many times bigger than just the 12 or the or the three. It, was, it could swell to large numbers. You can see that in the Gospel of John, where there's a large group of disciples that are following Jesus, and Jesus makes this hard saying to them, and they don't understand it. So it says that many of his disciples turned went away from him. So in other words, at different times in Jesus' ministry, the they, it can be quite a large number of people. And given the fact that this is Luke chapter 10, and in Luke chapter 10 verses, uh, verses 1 through 12, we are introduced to the 72 that Jesus has just kind of sent out to do ministry into different villages and towns. He talks to them in verses 17 of chapter 10, and we know that at this point in time in Jesus' ministry, he's pretty popular so that he has crowds of people following him you need to understand there's a they to this story. Let's just put it this way. When Jesus walks down the sidewalk at this point in his life, he's not walking by himself. You say, well, well, why is that important? Well, just hold on to that for a second. It's really important. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. He enters a village. Jesus entered a village. In other words, he's doing what he commissioned the 72 disciples to do at the beginning of chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. In fact, if you look at verses 4 through 9, look at what he had told the disciples to do in verse 4. He says, I want you to go into these these towns, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, and he continues to finish the story. Do you see it? Do you see it? What's going on? Jesus is entering a village. He's doing exactly the same thing that he's commissioned the 72 to do. What's that? He enters into a village. He enters into a village, and he shows up where? At the house of peace. Whose house is the house of peace? Martha's house. And what's, what's, what's going to happen? He's going to show up, shows up at Martha's house, and Martha is going to look after for him for as long as he stays in the village. Let that sink in. This is important to understand. There's a they to the story. Jesus enters into the village. He shows up at Martha's house, and he's going to stay. That's going to be the headquarters for his ministry. Well, as long as he stays in this village, just like he commissioned the 72 to do, he's doing the exact same thing here. And so then it says that she, Martha, welcomed him into her home. This whole story is about welcoming. It's right on the heels of the story of the Good Samaritan, where the Good Samaritan uh, found a Jewish man who was down by the side of the road left to be dead, and the religious leaders wanted to have nothing to do with him. But in turn, the Samaritan man was filled with such mercy and compassion for him that what does he do? He takes care of his hospitality needs. He meets his needs. He's, he's hurt. He's injured. He, take, he makes sure that he's cared for. That's what the story is about the Good Samaritan. So, too, this story. This story is about hospitality and the kind of welcome that Jesus wants. All that out of verse 38. So important, so important. So let me paint the picture for you in my own words. Right? So Jesus shows up. Okay, you got to envision this. Jesus shows up at Martha's door. Right? I don't know how many people are with him, but probably there's a number of people with him. There's a, you know, we can envision the 12, maybe it's a bigger crowd than that, that show up at her door. And so you have to ask yourself the question, what happens next? Well, this is the ancient Near East. I mean, they value hospitality. You know what the word hospitality means? It means to, basically to welcome strangers into your home. Now, for most of us in this room, as I'm looking across this room, you have no concept as to what that means. Their culture valued hospitality. It would, be, it would be unheard of for you to stand at the door and say, hey, I don't know, like there's 15 people. I don't think we can take care of the 15 or like there's five or 20. How long are you staying? Like none of those, none of those things flashed into their mind. It was like, no, this is what we do. We take care of one another. That's what we're supposed to do. It was part of their culture. You have to envision that this is what's happening. Jesus shows up at her front door with some of his friends, and he's staying for a while. So what happens next? Market run. That's what happens next, right? She doesn't have like a side of beef hanging in her freezer in the garage. There's none of that going on. It's like, I can only imagine oh my goodness all these people are i have to take care of them now and off off they go she sends people going back back and forth the market. we don't know we do not know how far her house was from the well all i know this is she has no running water in her home how in the world do you take care of people for a number of days Without any running water in your home. Well, all I know is you got to do a lot of trips back and forth and back and forth. Just think about, it. just think about all the activity that's going on in this home right now. Can you envision that? Can you see that? Can you place yourself in the midst of the story? And then add to this it's Jesus. It's Jesus. When I was. Uh, when I was younger, I used to wonder what it would be like to have someone famous over for dinner. You know, so I'd say things like this to my mother. Hey, Mom, wouldn't it be great if the Queen would come over for dinner? You know, things like that. I'd say weird things like that to her. And, and, uh, but I, I wonder how many of us would actually love to have the Queen drop in unannounced. Right? Like, no, just totally unannounced. Yeah, and uh, you know, after you get over this awkward hello at the door, you kind of sitting there. With her entourage in the middle of your living room, and all of a sudden, all these things kind of come flashing into your head, like things like, "Wow, I wish I had cleaned my house today," or, or, uh, or, "Wow, I hope she doesn't use that washroom," you know, kind of idea. You know, all these different things that might kind of be flashing through your mind, but you need to understand that this is not the queen; it's Jesus. It's Jesus. The one who's been healing people from town to town. Every place that he goes, every village that he goes, people get healed. Their their sins are forgiven. He's making these grand announcements. This is the one, this is the the son of God, the the man, the person who fed 5,000 people in Bethsaida. He's at the front door, sitting in her living room. This is what's going on. This is the story. So let's read it. Okay, read the story. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. When you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus... You have made the best choice. You notice what Jesus says to Martha? One thing is necessary. That's your first point. One thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. That, and what is that necessary thing? It's Mary's way. It's Mary's way in verse 39. What did Mary choose? What, what was the choice that she made? She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. In the midst of all the activity, in the midst of everything else that's going on in that house, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to his teaching. Mary is like the outlier. She's the countercultural one in in this story. Martha is doing what you're supposed to do, right? Ancient Near Eastern culture. You welcome strangers, you welcome friends, you welcome people into your homes. That's what you're supposed to do. Martha is doing exactly what she is supposed to do, and Mary should be helping her. But instead of jumping into all the activity of hospitality preparations, Mary chooses to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, I, I have to tell you, at this point in the story, I've got I to just say flat out, like because I'm not part of an ancient Near Eastern culture, And even though I'm hospitable, I don't value hospitality like this kind of hospitality. I'm thinking, hey, yeah, Mary made the best choice. Like, I mean, if if you were going to ask me if I showed up at the house, the last thing I would be doing was busy around doing all the things. I'd just sit in the living room and listen to the guy talk too. That's what I would do. And probably at least a half, if not three quarters of you in this room are thinking the same way. Like, yeah, the last thing I want to be doing is about all this preparation stuff can't we hire someone to do that can't we like you know can i write a check and have other people do that for me that's we kind of feel that's how we kind of feel we kind of think that kind of way but that's that's not how that's not how mary's been taught nobody has taught her to sit at the feet of jesus she has ever since she was a A little girl, she's been steeped in this culture with parents where they have invited strangers, people who are walking the roads, the friends into their homes all the time. They would just take care of people. That's what they did. Her whole culture is screaming at her. Take care of them. Make sure that their preparations are taken care of. Make sure that they're cared for. Everything is screaming at her. Make sure you're hospitable. Make sure you take care. That's the message she's hearing. It's loud and clear in her mind. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of all that noise, she chooses to sit at the feet of Jesus. She's not lazy. She's not looking for an excuse to get out of work like I might be. She isn't trying to upset her sister She just realizes that in this moment, what she needs, what is more important than anything else, is this one thing. Sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. We got... Mary's way has to be our way. We need to realize this, that God's message for us today as we read this story for you and for me is that what we need, what is more important than anything else, is this one thing that is necessary for your life, and his name is Jesus. Now, what does that look like? Well, this is what it looks like. You'll see what it's right here in these words. she, She has this Focus on Jesus. She sat at the Lord's feet. She's focused. She takes the posture of a disciple. When the rabbi would teach, the disciples would sit at the feet of Jesus. It was a recognition of the authority of the teacher. There was a sense of humility. There was a respect. There was a commitment. There was a loyalty. There was a true devotion by the disciple being expressed towards the one who's teaching. It's really a word of relationship she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, she's interacting in relationship, she's taking the right posture, the right position, the right place in her relationship with Jesus. She's focused on Jesus, and then she's fixated on his teaching. She's focused on Jesus, and she's fixated on his teaching. She's listening to his teaching. Now, there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? How many of you agree with me? There's a difference between hearing and listening. There's a totally difference. There, I mean, this, this plays out in your family all the time, especially now that we have smartphones. Okay, we have smartphones. I, I know you all, most of you, maybe, not, maybe some of you don't. Please don't put your hand up if you don't have a smartphone. It'd be really embarrassing right now. But if most of us have smartphones and they're always within arm, they're always within arm length, right? Arms length, they have to, they're either on our person, or they're really, really close to us. And I don't know if you noticed it before, but we could be in conversation with one another, like looking one-on-one, having a really cool conversation with one another, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the screen lights up, or there's a vibration, or there's a, one of those annoying little sounds that comes on, you know, and that reminds us that we have a message. So I'm having this conversation with you, I'm having this conversation with you, right? I'm we're here and we're talking with another. I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you. I'm listening to you. All of a sudden it lights up and I'm like, oh, yeah. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden I'm grabbing them, I'm grabbing the phone, I'm looking at it, and I'm I'm still I'm still talking to you, but I'm actually now I'm multitasking. Right? I'm actually sending a message to somebody else while I'm actually trying to listen to you. How many of you think I'm listening to you? Not listening to you. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, that's a really significant theme in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Let me, let me show some examples of how the Gospel of Luke, how that, how Luke emphasizes through Jesus' words that, that there's a difference between hearing and listening. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 8. It, he starts when he, he's in the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower, and he said, Jesus says these words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, just look at that one phrase, that one sentence. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's not talking about hearing here. What's he talking about? He's talking about listening, right? right? He's not just talking about the physical ability to hear things, he's actually talking about paying attention and listening to them, right? So that's Luke chapter eight. It's the same, same story Luke chapter eight, verse 15. Luke 8, 15, when he's describing the, what the good soil is like, he says, As for that and the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. There's a great description of what it means to listen. They not only heard it, they held it fast with an honest and good heart, and then they bear fruit with patience. Look at chapter 8, verse 18. Verse 18, he says, same story. Take care then how you hear for to the one who has more will be given and from the one who has not even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, "Listen. You make sure that you listen in a particular way because you know, I've given you these truths and if you really listen to them properly, I'm going to give you more, right?" And then he starts he really almost changes his focus and starts talking about the religious leaders who think that they have God's truth but they're really not listening to God, he says, even that, whatever they have, it will be taken away from them, right? It's very important that you not just hear the word, but you actually listen to the word. Look at Luke 8, verse 21. As he concludes this story, he says, oh, by the way, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it, right? This, again, another idea of of, of listening, of listening. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Jesus is all about paying attention and listening, okay? And listening. And, and why is that? Because Jesus' words are the words of life. Look at Luke chapter six, verses 47 through 48, right? Where he's just talk, done the Sermon on the Mount and he's summing up the Sermon on the Mount and he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. What's he like? He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Right? Everyone who comes to me hears my word and does them. What? Everyone who listens to my words and then does them, not just hears them, but actually listens, take them to heart and actually does them. This is what your life is like. What are Jesus' words like? They're like words of life, man. You can. You, can, you follow them, you obey them, you listen to them, you pay attention to them. And I'm telling you, you're going to be, when, when life gets tough, your house isn't going to fall down. Right? That's what he's saying. He says it another way in John chapter 8. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So what do disciples do? Disciples abide in Jesus' words. Why? Because Jesus' words are words of life and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay, so why, why is that? See, when you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have made the best choice. You're focused on Jesus. You've taken the right position, the right posture, and you're also fixated on his teaching. You're listening to his teaching. Listening to his teaching. All right. some of you right now are hearing but not listening. There's a difference between hearing and listening. The, when you, you sit at the feet of Jesus, you've made the best choice. Sitting at the feet of Jesus means to be focused on Jesus, taking the right posture and position in my relationship with him, and it means to be fixated on his teaching. It means that i actually listening to, my, to his teaching. I, I want to pay attention to it because I know that the, his words are words of life, and that's what, exactly what Mary's doing. I, I, you do you see how busy that house is? Do you see how busy her life is? Do you see how, how, how frantic everything is going on around her, and what does she choose to do? She chooses to focus on Jesus and fixate on his teaching. So you, I just want to ask you, in your life right now, Mary, Martha, are you? is your life best described as one where you're focusing on Jesus and you're fixated? You're truly not just hearing, you're actually listening to his teaching. Are you fixated on his teaching? No. I, maybe this would be some help for you. For some of you, I, maybe it'll be a help to understand what it's like in my life. That what happens is early in the morning, um, and I don't have this down. Like I'm certainly not perfect at this, but just maybe this would be helpful for you. But today, you know, in the morning, I get up, and when my alarm goes off, I I get up and I get in my blue chair. After I get a cup of tea, I have a blue chair and i sit in my blue chair and i open god's word and i i start i sit at his feet and i want to be fixated on his teaching i just want to listen to God. where i i can't imagine i can't i could not imagine living my life only eating one meal a week i i can't i can't fathom that i just, uh, i mean clearly looking at me you can i can't fathom that right so uh, and the reason why is because it's not sustainable. And as amazing as this is, when we gather together and we open God's Word and we do this together and, and share in God's Word, share a meal around God's Word as we're doing right now, as we're listening to what God, the Spirit of God is saying to us, as much as that is healthy and great, it's not sustainable. Right? Every single day, daily, you have to focus on Jesus and be fixated on His teaching, focused on Jesus, fixated on his, on his teaching. That's what that's what you need to do. It means being in relationship. I mean, every time I open God's Word, this isn't a textbook. This is a an entrance into relationship to the God of this universe. The Spirit of God promises to take the Word of God and interact in our hearts and our in our spirits. I I try to submit myself, to place myself underneath the authority of God's Word, of Jesus' teaching. It means paying attention to what I'm reading, and sometimes I read it out loud, sometimes I pray it out loud, I always ask God to impress upon me what I need to pay attention to, so I underline things, I circle things, I actually write in the margin of my Bible, sometimes I journal, I go through different seasons in my life where I journal, Because I know this to be true, you can read and you can hear and still not listen. Sometimes I'll read God's word and then 10 minutes later, I I can't even remember what I just read. And so I got to go back and do it again. Did anyone anyone else struggle with that? See, I know I'm sitting and listening when over a period of time God's word does what it promises to do. I remember I love 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 that tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for what? For teaching or instruction. When's the last time you were reading God's word and the Spirit of God actually instructed you? Okay, instructed you. Or it's, it's valuable or profitable for reproof. That's the word that means conviction. When's the last time you were moved to tears in conviction from God's word as you read God's word on your own to repentance and confession for sin? Or correction. That's the idea of rest- restoration or improving. When's the last time that God's word spoke into your heart and and begin to mend your your broken spirit, or correct your faulty understanding? Or or training in righteousness, when's the last time that God's word actually launched you in a process of discipline and changing your life? Praise God on Sunday morning, yes, but when's the last time it happened on Monday morning, or Wednesday morning, or Friday morning? Over time, this is what God's word does to us. Why? Because that's what God's word, it's breathed out by God. These are God's words. This is Jesus' teaching. And when when you focus on Jesus and you fixate on his teaching, this is what happens in your life. When you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have made the best choice. One thing is necessary, and here's what I know is true. Many things, however, pull us away from the one thing, right? Look at chapter verse, verse 40 of chapter 10. But Martha was, what, distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now let's not be too harsh on Martha, all right? We're not going to be harsh on Martha. I mean, her intentions are good. I mean, Jesus is sitting in her living room, right? So let's not get too bent out of shape. Oh, Martha should have known better, you know. Really? Really? Let me ask you, what would you have been doing right at that moment if Jesus was sitting in your living room? So let's not be too Harsh on her. She's she loves Jesus. She's trying to serve Jesus. She's trying to do the absolute best for Jesus. But we need to understand that in this story, Martha's way is not Mary's way. Right? She has a frantic life which leads to a fractured heart. She has a frantic life that leads to a fractured heart. You have words like in these verses: she's distracted, she's anxious, she's troubled. Right? like I, In my own life, I long so much to be like Mary, and yet I realize that, that my life many times is like Martha, right? distracted, anxious, troubled. God, please don't let my life be like that, but so often it is. I can't tell you how many times last week I saw myself anxious or I was distracted or troubled. So it's so important for us to be aware of the things that, that can pull us away from the one thing, right? Because one thing is necessary, and yet there are these many things that pull us away. That's what literally what distracted means there. It means to be be pulled away from the, from the good things. So what are some of those things? Well, let's, let's consider this one thing, these three things. Busyness, disillusionment, and disappointment. Let's look at busyness first, okay? Busyness first. It says that she was distracted with much serving. She was pulled away from the necessary thing by much serving. Now, I want to say to you, I, my heart of heart wants to say to you that the problem here is that just that she has a fractured heart, but it's not. I mean, it is that she has a fractured heart, but it's also because she has a frantic life, okay? In this moment, with all this activity, is very, very frantic and and it leads to a fractured heart. In fact, I would say this I would say this to be true. A frantic life almost always leads to a fractured heart. You can't live an overpacked, agenda driven, overachieving excellence at all costs lifestyle without it impacting your ability to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to the teaching of Jesus. If you want quality in your relationship with Jesus Christ, it requires what? Quantity, right? Is that not true of any kind of relationship? If you want quality in your marriage, what does it require? Come on, man, what does it require? What does it require? It requires quantity. It requires time spent with your spouse. If you want quality in your relationship with your kids, what does it require? It requires quantity some you know some people actually think that i could if i just make it quality then everything will be fine like try that out with your kids this week hey kids right i'm going to give you 15 minutes this week and it's going to be the most amazing 15 minutes of your week how do you think that's going to play out over the long term not very good so it's true in our relationship with the lord if you want quality in your relationship with the lord (laughs) All of us in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we all want a close relationship with the Lord. That's what it means to be a disciple. You want to have a close relationship with the Lord. What does that require? It requires quantity of your time. I don't know how much. It just requires quantity. You have to dedicate time to your Relationship with the Lord, even Jesus, even Jesus, while he lived on this earth with us, was always looking for ways where he could break away from the crowds to get out into the mountainside and be with his Father. What an amazing model, right? I'm thinking, but Jesus himself, the God of this universe, right, looked for ways in which he could break away to the mountainside to be with his Father. Now, Jesus is not anti-serving in this story. In fact, he wrote other chapters that in the Gospels are recorded where, where he talks very much about serving, like Matthew chapter 25, a whole chapter that's dedicated to how we need to be ready for the return of the Lord, make sure you're doing the right things you're supposed to be doing. But what he is concerned about in this story is how the drive to serve can cause you to make the wrong choice doing something for jesus can never replace being with jesus and some of the busiest people that i know that are busy serving for jesus some of them are the most distracted followers of jesus Some, some of the people who have, you know, are just so dedicated to serving the remember, Lord, the Lord loves you for your service. He loves you for your service, but don't let that ever replace being with Jesus. Doing for Jesus cannot replace being with Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, that abiding with him would lead to fruitfulness. If you abide with Christ, it leads to fruitfulness for Christ, it's not the other way around. Okay, you have to abide with Christ, leads to fruitfulness for Christ. So this is one of the things, this is one of the things that can really pull you away, pull you away from the one necessary thing, busyness, busyness. Here's another thing, disillusionment, disillusionment, verse 40. Remember what she says? I I love this. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I have no idea what the tone was, right? I, I, I don't know what the tone was at all in her conversation. Do you not care? Jesus, do you not care? And we're all saying, of course he does. Stop it. <laughs> do, you, do you not care? Do you not care? And of course, we all know that, that Jesus cares. She said, well, if you really care, then tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. What, what's, what's wrong here? You can hear it in her words. What's she saying? It's not fair. She's, just, she's in the midst of it, and she's disillusioned. She's saying, Lord, like, do you not care? Do you not care? Tell her to serve me. Tell, she's got, she has to do it. Tell her to serve me. What, she's, she's disillusioned. She's, it's, she's saying it's not fair. And hear, hear me, hear me. When our hearts are captivated by things like, like I deserve this or unmet expectations that we, we place on other people, when our hearts are captivated on those things, it takes our minds off the goodness of the Lord right, and, and his ongoing love, and it can drive a wedge between you and your Savior. You need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of that. Some of us in this room right now need to understand that we are disillusioned with life. If, if someone were to capture the, the season in my life, it would be this. It's not fair. I don't believe it's fair. God, it's not fair. God, did you care? Do you not care? Do you not care? <laughs> Cry out to the Lord. The Lord will receive your cries of lament. he absolutely does that. But you need to understand it. He so cares. He so cares. Don't let it lead to disillusionment. Don't let, because what happens? It pulls you, it can pull you away from the Lord rather than to your Savior. And then here's the last thing, disappointment. The potential of disappointing others, I, Verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Now, I'm just telling you, Jesus has to say your name twice, right? You know there's something going on. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, Jesus doesn't say what those many things are, but you can imagine one of them was probably the burden of responsibility, You know, as part of her culture, she doesn't want to let Jesus down. She loves Jesus. She wants to serve Jesus. There's this expectation that's put on her that they would actually be able to host Jesus and on all his people for a number of years. Or it's her reputation. What will people think of me? You know, what will people think of me if we can't pull this off? She's dealing with all, she doesn't want to disappoint anyone. She's the fear of man. She's afraid she's going to let other people down. All of these things, all and other things, but all of these things right out of this text tell us that there are many things that pull us away from the one thing. What's pulling you away? There's one necessary thing. What is pulling you away? What is it? What's pulling you away? And here's it. Here's the thing. Jesus says, listen, there's one thing that's necessary. there are many things that are gonna, that can pull you away from the one thing. You have to choose the one thing. You see what he says in verse forty two? He says, "But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You have to choose the one thing that's necessary. I wish I could tell you that there was a formula that if you just did one plus one, it would lead to, you know this. Amazing relationship with the Lord. You know, it's just like that your life would be simple, it would be perfect. It's just not like that. It's not like that. You and I are always going to be facing a frantic life, a busy life. We're going to be dealing with things like it's not fair, disillusionment. We're going to be dealing with things like disappointment. I don't want to disappoint others. I don't want others to disappoint me. That's the life we live, that's what it means to be a human being. How do you deal with that? You have to choose the one thing. You have to choose. Right? You have to choose to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to his teaching. choose. But you know my life. Yes, I do. I know your life. It's the same as most other people in this room. The things and the names and the situations might be different, but really it all boils down to the same thing. We're all dealing with the same thing. We're all dealing with the same thing. There are many things that pull us away from the one necessary thing. What do we have to do? Choose the one thing. Mary has made the better choice. She made the better choice. Of all the choices that you have available to you, you have to believe, you have to believe that choosing Jesus is the good portion that no one can take away from you. Choose Jesus. He's always, always, always the better portion. It's always the best choice. It's always the one necessary thing. Well, what about my responsibilities? What about all those other things? I know, I know, I know that. I have them too. We still have to do those things, but I have to choose Jesus. I have to choose Jesus. He's always the better portion. And for some of you, I don't know, maybe a few of you here this morning, this is like an invitation from Jesus himself to start following him. You know, because of your sin, you can't have a relationship with God, with Jesus. You can't even sit at his holy feet. It's... it's, Impossible for you, really, to have a relationship with the God of the universe because sin separates you from God. It separates you from, from Jesus Christ. But Jesus made this amazing way. It was It's called his grace through your faith and the saving work of Christ on the cross for your sin. Jesus died. He, he took your place. You respond in faith and belief to that. You come running to him because of his saving work on life, and then you can actually sit at his feet. And be focused on him and fixated on his teaching. And, and for some of us, probably many of us here this morning, this is an invitation for you to renew your following of Jesus. You just have to make the choice. you got to make the choice. I do fr- understand, it. a frantic life almost always leads to a fractured heart. And you need to understand, like doing things for Jesus can never replace being with him. Hear me, please. I know you love Jesus. I know you want to serve him. But doing things for him can never replace being with him. When you choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, you've made the best choice. Let's pray together. Father, pray. We pray now in this moment of um, response as we respond to you this morning. I, I pray for those who are here this morning that maybe think that they have a relationship with Jesus, but really don't. Um, maybe they've been trying to have a relationship with with Jesus through the things that they've done or they're trying to earn their way. And really, it's it's not that. It's about your grace, your love, your forgiveness. Father, I pray that they would give their lives to you now. They would come, they would confess their sin, they would repent of their sin, they would seek forgiveness from you and you would freely give that to them. I pray for those of us here this morning, who are um, distracted, anxious, and troubled, and we've let our frantic life squeeze you out. God, help us to believe this to be true, that when we choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, we actually have made the best choice. I pray for those of us that, that have lost a, a passion for our first love. We can remember a time when we were, we were sitting at the feet of Jesus and we were focused on him and fixated on his teaching. And, and yet now our, our lives are not described like that. God, I, I pray f- that this moment would be a time of repentance and confession to you and that they would experience forgiveness from you and restoration in their relationship with you. Oh God help us. Please help us. Save us from ourselves. Extend your grace again to us and show us how important it is and how beautiful it is and how precious and life restoring it is to actually sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.